Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. And we're happy you spend some time with us, Chip and Jay. Holding it down middays right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Zay, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Just out here like McConaughey, dazed and confused, living, L-I-V-I-N. How you doing? Yeah, man. I mean, I... uh... I'm not complaining, you know, football season never ends here. And how about the Texas Longhorns? 11. A record 11. That's a record? Huh? That's a record? That is a record, my friend. Ooh, wow. That's a record. Bravo. Yeah, man. Bravo. Texas Longhorns. Yeah, man. Bravo. Uh, 11 NFL Combine invitees for the Longhorns. So, um, I don't know. It's like the the program's growing up right in front of our eyeballs. Yeah. You know, sure. they're checking some boxes that uh, have been held against Texas in recruiting for, for quite a while. You know, when you – Talk about winning a conference championship for the first time since 09, going to the first college football playoff in uh, school history. And now, potentially, potentially uh, having double digit draft picks. And I don't know that that will happen um, because. When you go over the list, you've got, and this is this is kudos to Steve Sarkeesian in a lot of ways, but um, you know, a guy like Keelan Robinson gets yeah. invited. Um, Jordan Whittington got invited. His numbers aren't exceptional, but Again, it's a Steve Sarkeesian receiver, so I think that carries weight, obviously. Um, and Christian Jones, guys, got a shot. He's got a shot to be drafted. And, you know, Ryan Watts, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. You could have double-digit players drafted, which is something that's been happening all the time for – Alabama and Georgia, but has not been happening for the Longhorns. So, yeah. And you got Jonathan Brooks, you know, who's going to go and take part in non um, football activities, the testing and, and that kind of thing, interviews. But, man, it's happening. It's yeah. Happening. Yeah. And it's exciting. You know, as you mentioned, it's been a long time coming since you've seen this many guys just being eligible to get drafted. And you got to salute Steve Sarkeesian. Hell, as much as we dog him, you got to salute Tom Herman in a way because he recruited a lot of these guys that you see on this list. Stark just kind of inherited those guys and developed them and did a hell of a job in doing that. So, yeah, I see about seven for sure's. 
you know, that I can count on getting drafted. I think the other four might be guys that you see in training camp and might have to earn their stripes there to get on a 53-man roster once September comes around. But, yeah, I'm looking at Jonathan Brooks. He's good. Adnan Mitchell, he's good. Xavier Worthy, good. JT Sanders, good. Byron Murphy, good. Trevondre Sweat, good. Jalen Ford, good. That's seven, huh? Yeah, so that's all those guys. I expect them to get drafted. Ryan Watts, that's a question mark. Jordan Whittington, that's a question mark. Keelan Robinson's a question mark. And so is Christian Jones. You know, Christian Jones, he's came a long way. And we talked about him going from the left side to right tackle and how that completely changed his career and his upside. Because, again, with his size, you got to take a serious look at him if you're one of these NFL rosters. So, again, I don't know if he'll get drafted. He did all right at senior at, um, the Senior Bowl. But, yeah, it's just – you look at Keelan Robinson, that's kind of the one I'm most intrigued about because he's fresh. Like if he might not have much film, but if you're an NFL, you know, GM with his talent, the way that he was used with Jeff Banks on the special teams, like you might be able to fit him in somewhere with that speed. And again, to him being fresh, you don't got to worry about, you know, him coming in battered or being injury prone. Like he's going to come in ready to go. So it just depends on, you know, as you mentioned, him being a Sark player, just that type of IQ, will he be able to fit into one of these rosters and the system that they're trying to put out there? I don't know. That's to be determined. But yeah, man, this is a good group. And this this is what it should be. This is the expectation, you know, like Georgia, Alabama. This is what they've been doing for the last decade. Texas, they've been lacking with that. So what's synonymous with Georgia and Alabama? They've won championships in the last decade. Texas has not, but they're getting close. That's what we saw this last year in 2013 or 2023 with them going to the Sugar Bowl and being in the CFP. They are close and Sark's doing it the right way. He talked about it in his last presser. So I'm with it. These 11 guys, they deserve it. I hope they have a good showing. And yeah, looks like Texas is on the up and up and just getting NFL guys or getting guys ready for the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a, it's, these are steps that are happening that uh, Texas fans have been waiting for. Some of them are like, wow, this is, this is happening. Um, and yeah, because I think two years ago, you'd have said <laughs> stuff like this and um, people be like, oh man, we're not ready. We're not ready for the SEC. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not where we need to be. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's unfolding in front of their eyes. And, and uh, it's like we said, I mean, Texas is seen as a, as a top three team in the sec going into the 2024 season, Texas fans, you ready for that? You ready for that? You ready to be one of the headliners? And good God, Zay, if Texas does go into the SEC and say they beat Georgia in Austin and get into the college football playoff and AM doesn't, oh God, the Aggies, Aggie, 
Aggie Aggie land is gonna collapse. Yeah, yeah, that hurt. But hey, that's what happens when you're a little bro. <laughs> they don't like admitting it. Like, so just embrace being a little bro. And maybe when they start embracing it, life will come easier. But they don't. They they think they're big bro. They think they're on the same level, which in a lot of ways they are. A lot of ways they are. But there's a lot of ways they ain't. And it's just that, you know, level of entitlement, bad decision making. Like they gave Jimbo Fisher way too much money. They all know that. That buyout was stupid. 75 mil, stupid. Doesn't make any sense for a guy that college football passed him up. You know, Jimbo Fisher was still back with Jameis in that type of mindset. Game passed him up. Sark, you heard him. He just keeps adapting to the game. That's what you have to do. Nick Saban retired, big part of the reason why, because the game, he didn't want to keep adapting. He said, you know what, me being in my 70s, we got folks talking to my players midseason, even though we're allowed to do it. That's kind of Nick Saban's cut from that old school cloth. That ain't a part of code. Guys did that. They were considered scumbags. Now it's an everyday norm. Now it's regular to be like Iowa and hit up guys like Caden Proctor to be like, yo, cuz, I saw that you had a bad game. Are you okay? Are, are you good? You need somebody to talk to? I saw Nick Saban chewing your ass out on that sideline. Do you need somebody to talk to? Be in there shrinking shit. You know what I'm saying? That's where we are. Did you so did did you see Mike Elko say at a press conference that AM yeah. is the flagship school in the state of I Texas? I love it, Mike. I love it. I love it. He has to say that. He has to say that. I respect it. I, I think he's crazy and a little delusional, but you, you have to say that. You have to at least think it. And his, you know, I'm talking about the fans when I talk about the delusion and just understanding that you're big bro, a little bro. They don't get that. Mike Elko, he has to say that. He has to say, no, we the main shit here. We we the ones. If you from Texas, you want to come to AM. Again, delusional, but I respect him saying that. I know Texas fans been firing his ass up. I get it. That's the rivalry. But also, I respect Mike Elko for at least having the cojones to drop them things and say, you know what? I see what Sark's doing over there, but I'm here now. Jimbo wasn't the guy. Like, what, what you, you know, Jimbo wasn't the guy. So Mike Elko's saying, I'm the guy. This is what it is. I'm about to change the whole program just like that. I got to oh, figure it out. That's how that, Elko's feeling. I can't knock him for that. I respect it. There's so much confusion. I don't kind of fog around the AM attempted hire of Mark Stoops and then ultimately hiring Mike Elko. And it is John Sharp's worst nightmare for Texas. Remember, the rest of the SEC didn't tell AM what was going on with Texas and Oklahoma because they knew how much John Sharp despised the idea of Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. In fact, Sharp's the one who leaked that information to the Houston Chronicle when they were having SEC media days in the summer of 21 or whatever, you know, 
um, whenever that was the the SEC media days that leaked that you know the SEC was talking to Texas and Oklahoma because they didn't want Sharp to try to gum it up. And his worst nightmare is Texas coming into the league as a favorite and living up to it. Now, A&M came in to the 2021 season as a as a favorite, a potential, you know, dark horse winner of the league after going nine and one in the COVID season. And then they went splat. Texas came into the 2023 season with expectations of winning the Big 12, and they delivered. So A&M fans are listening right now, and they're listening, and we love the Aggies. The Aggies love us. They're looking at what Texas did last year, saying, oh, yeah, you beat up on the on the Big 12. You You played Oklahoma State for your conference championship game. We had Georgia and Alabama, two of the best teams in the nation. And I get it. It's a whole new world trying to win an SEC championship. But guess what? Steve Sarkeesian has done a pretty good job of building the program as an SEC program, even though Texas has been in the Big 12 for three years under Sarkeesian. So that's where Texas is way ahead. I mean, Mike Elko, I, I like, I like Mike Elko. I think he's a really good defensive mind and he did a good job of having a quarterback in Riley Leonard who had Duke looking like a, you know, a, a team that could threaten the ACC last year before Riley Leonard got hurt. And look, I like the hire of Colin Klein, but I got to see how this all comes together. You got to see it. Yeah. And that's going to be the most interesting thing for AM in 2024. Does Connor Wegman, if he's healthy, I'm sure he's going to be healthy, you know, once August comes around, but can he fit into what Colin Klein is going to bring to the table? Because we know Colin Klein, even going back to the days where he played and he was in New York, top three for the Heisman vote, that dude runs. He likes his quarterbacks to be able to move. And, you know, we saw that from my man who's now at Ohio State, Will Howard, which will also be interested to see Will Howard under Chip Kelly and Ryan Day. But that's a different story for a different day. I, man, it's Elko's defense the philosophy versus Sark's offense philosophy. That's going to be pretty epic for years to come. I think that – Elko is going to embrace developing guys a little bit more than Jimbo did. You know, it's like Jimbo got these guys in and with all the NIL benefits that they have coming out of Aggieland, like, yeah, everything looked gravy, but those guys, it seemed like a lot of them were getting developed or they were disgruntled in the atmosphere of what's going on. You just heard different things. Like Jimbo didn't have that team very buttoned up. And it seemed like he lost a lot of those guys, you know, this past season. So 
Yeah, like again, that's that you're right. That's their worst nightmare. Seeing Texas on the up and up, seeing where they're going, seeing how hot they are coming into the SEC after winning the Big 12 in the last year and getting to a CFP. Yeah, I love it. I love it. it may, get your popcorn ready, as the famous Terrell Owens said, because this season in 2024, it can't get here fast enough. Well, and just for the record, AM. Um, has five uh, invitees to the combine. So uh, that's what Texas had last year to the combine. And I, I get the feeling that uh, you've got, uh, you know, this is a trend that I think will continue because I think Sark's going to continue to get Top end offensive players, quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, running backs, and offensive linemen because of the track record he has of putting guys in the league. I mean, this was such a nightmare statistic for Texas the last 15 years. I mean, they went nine years without a single offensive lineman drafted in seven rounds. Nine years. Like, I I had NFL people telling me that's not even possible. Like, if you're Texas, the the Longhorns, one of the all-time winningest programs in college football history, you should at least have one or two offensive linemen fall into your lap like a legacy who doesn't care what people think and is going to Texas because he grew up Texas and – got developed into an NFL offensive lineman nine years from Tony Hills in the fourth round of the 08 draft to the Pittsburgh Steelers to Connor Williams in the second round of the 2018 draft. That is one of the most staggering, humiliating, like pieces of trivia involving Texas football of the last century. But it tells you where this program has been. It tells you why it's been wandering around in the college football desert. Because, look, you can thank the Pancake Factory, the timing of it, the $50,000 promise to offensive linemen, Calvin Banks, DJ Campbell. Okay. Well, that was brilliant then. Good job. Rick Vasquez and, you know, the guys who – created the pancake factory because guess what? They're getting developed. Christian Jones under Kyle flood is got developed. He looked like he was lost as a left tackle two years ago. Now he's, you know, one of the guys whose stock is rising coming out of the senior bowl. Like it's kind of unfathomable to me that Christian Jones is going to the NFL combine. I thought after the 21 season, he was done. So kudos to Kyle Flood, to Christian Jones. Christian Jones, one of my favorite players. Oh, me too. Last couple of years. Yeah. Ernest guy. Uh, He's keeps it real. Yeah. He was a, he was a leader on this team. He was an underground leader on this team. You could tell with you guys interviewing him almost every week, just 
what he represented and how he carried himself. And yeah, shout out to him for understanding that, Hey, if I want to be an NFL player, I'm going to take these extra years of eligibility that I'm given through the COVID and he took it and ran with it. So shout out to him. Yeah. He deserves this. Well, it's, it's impressive. And, and for a guy like Keelan Robinson, man, what an opportunity, what an opportunity. And he's a, you know, he's a return specialist and the NFL values that we've seen it and good for Keelan Robinson to, and really for Sark because the, um, you know, those combine spots are, are precious. They don't just throw those out there. And, and so this is a, this is one of those days you put down, you put a little sticky note, 11 players going to the NFL combine, something Texas football's never done, something Alabama and Georgia have been doing every year. Bama had 13, get this, Georgia had 14 players at the 2022 NFL combine and ended up having 15 players drafted. <laughs> like. They had more players drafted than they had at the combine. And when you're winning and when you're part of a winning culture and a top end program, that's what happens. For sure. NFL wants players who've been winning to come in and help them keep winning or help them learn to win. Because it's like in recruiting. Steve Sarkeesian talks about it all the time. Hey. We want guys who won state championships. We want guys who led their program. Colin Simmons, back-to-back state championships at Duncanville. You want guys who walk in expecting to win. You know, Jordan Whittington said it. Like, I won all the time in high school. Then I got to Texas, and it was like I had to help get the guys here (laughs) to learn what it's like to win. Yeah, you're right. Got to turn that mindset. It's not easy. Yeah. So out of the 11 that are going, how many do you think are going to get drafted? I just said my seven. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Brooks, yes. Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, Worthy, Sanders, Byron Murphy, Tavondre, Sweat. I think Jalen Ford gets drafted i think those are the seven those those are the seven yeah i mean if watts runs well at six foot three and a good tackler and i i bet someone takes a flyer on him yeah he has a lot of upside man i mean if he's willing to change positions you know go to safety that might fit him the best that's what he was playing at that, you know, senior bowl all-star game. He was last at. So that's what suits him best. I think he needs to go after it. I mean, everybody wants to be a corner because that cornerback money is a lot different. But, you know, I I I and I get it. I get it. Like one of my favorite things with Kobe Black, when I saw somebody talking about him being the safety on Twitter or X, whatever the hell you call it, he had to correct them and retweet it, said, no, nah, I'm a corner. 
Like, you know, and I bet you Pete Krakowski and Terry Joseph and Blake Guinea are probably like, yo, we're just going to put you in what you're best at right now. We'll work to you playing where, you know, you think you should be later on. So, yeah, we'll see with Ryan Watts. I think he has tremendous upside. Um, gosh, yeah, I wish Christian Jones, I could say yes with him, but I think the NFL is going to be a little timid due to those first few years and – We'll see what happens there, but yeah, fellas, Keelan Robinson. Oh man, that dude. I, I'm still kind of salty that he wasn't utilized more. Like when he first got to Texas, they gave him the ball a lot, you know, a lot more than he did these last two years. And I know Jeff Banks used them for special teams on both sides, but I don't know. Hopefully he has that clubbed hand healed. That shouldn't have been playing in the Sugar Bowl. What are we doing? That was a weird, terrible move. I, I ain't forget, Chip. Don't think I forgot. I won't forget that. That's still very questionable. So hopefully whatever the hell happened to his hand, wrist, whatever, that has healed and he'll be ready to go full speed at the combo. Yeah, does everyone remember that Keel Robinson had a left-hand injury the week of the – sugar bowl and was not returning kicks and then all of a sudden he was and he muffed them both twice two months he's trying to field the ball with one hand but he recovered the muffs fortunately but he certainly just a weird weird moment and everybody wants to help. Everybody thinks they can help. Everybody wants to make a play. Keelan is a confident dude. I mean, he's made big plays, so he's trying to do it one-handed. But, yeah, that was weird. See, now, that's one thing I'll throw at you. If you had to ask me what the SART need to improve on in the 2024 season, I would say being more strict to guys that are injured, that are hurt. Like, there's that saying, okay, if you're hurt, you can play. You know, if you're injured, sit out. Nah, bruh, that's a judgment call. If you're hurt and you can play, doesn't mean you should be playing. Oklahoma game, Jatavion Sanders. Sugar Bowl game, Keelan Robinson. It doesn't mean you should be playing. Sark needs to let these dudes know, hey, you're not going to hurt us and mess what we got going up or got going on because you want to play. I get it. You're a competitor. That's the reason why I recruited you to be at Texas in the first place. I like that. I want you to almost want to fight me because I'm not playing you because you're mad and you feel like you could play through injury. I like that. We need guys like that. That's but, what Jeff Banks. That's what Jeff Banks said to Gunnar Helm. What'd he say? He said, I'm, I'm glad you're pissed at me. Oh yeah. Keep, keep bringing it. Cause you're going to, you're going to get on the field. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. But when guys are out here limping around, hurt as hell, but they're showing their heart and they want to play, don't play them. Don't play. Ain't no way Jatavion Sanders should have been playing in that OU game. <laughs> ain't no way. I'll never forget that. Never. Ain't no way that dude should have been playing in that game. And it wasn't like he wasn't a part of big moments, too. That pass that Quinn Ewers could have put a little bit more on the money that – popped up and became an interception. I think 100% JT Sanders would have caught that thing. I'm just saying. I saw a lot of the time in his last two years here, that dude caught a lot of, 
you know, trafficky catches with a lot of people around trying to knock him off. And he put those big old paws out and he secured them things. So, yeah, Stark, I need you to be a little bit more strict. Hell no, you ain't playing, damn it. You know what I'm saying? It don't got to be that crazy. Maybe be like, yo, son, look, I love you. Put, a, put your arm around him. Like, I love you, but we can't. We're going to go with whoever the backup is. Believe in him. Be a leader. Let that guy know you're here for him. I know this hurts. You're a competitor, but let your well, team know that you're still engaged and locked in. You just ain't that playing. O- that Oklahoma game in 2023 should have been the poster of appreciation for Jake Majors. Because when he went down and look, the young centers are coming. You know, Connor Robertson, Cole Hudson, and Cole Hudson was hurt. So you're to your third string center. And it was tough. It was tough. The first and goal from the one, the sack given up late in the game. It's tough, man. I think every Texas fan should have come out of that game saying, man, I really appreciate Jake Majors because he played probably the next four games on a badly sprained ankle and didn't his play didn't suffer. He had a good year. He did. Jake Majors had a good year. He and Christian Jones had a had a really good year. And you had some really good games from DJ Campbell, like against Alabama, which, okay. He showed it against Alabama. Right. That puppy will bite. He's he's gonna bite. I'm expecting big things from DJ Campbell in 2020. That's nasty in him, man. Huh? He got some nasty in him. Yeah. And what if I was built like that? Like a cement truck? Like a cement mixer? I want to be built like a cement mixer. Yeah. Just have people, you know, just throw people around. You're really high on Cameron Williams, aren't you? There were things I liked. I thought he was good in pass protection. I mean, he has got such long arms, and I think he's he's trouble for for most defensive ends. Now, going up against Colin Simmons every day in practice is going to be really good because Colin Simmons is so fast. He reminds me of like remember Bruce Irvin, who came out of West Virginia, played for the Seahawks. Damn, you going way back. Yeah, sorry. I mean, he's <laughs> Joseph, <laughs> Joseph no, Osai. Joseph Osai is my comp for Colin Simmons. And Osai is like, if, if Colin Simmons, hopefully they'll put Colin Simmons in the right position. I thought Osai was played out of position for two years. And then he was put in position and he had a great junior year and he left. And now he's doing really good things for the Cincinnati Bengals. Hopefully they put Colin Simmons right up there on the line and have him rush in the passer because he's got real bend. Like he can dip his shoulder and get underneath the hip of an offensive tackle and get right by him. He's also got an inside move. And sometimes we see five-star guys come out and they get to college and 
you kind of coach the the coach the life out of a guy. You know, well, your technique, you got a technique, technique. Hey, man, sometimes you just got it. Yeah, just let him roll. Tony Brackens as a freshman, 12 sacks. Just turn him loose. Just turn him loose. Colin Simmons, hopefully that's the same type of way because, man, that dude's got speed. Yeah. And that's going to be a problem. Yeah, if I'm Baron Sorrell and Ethan Burt, don't think that Trey Moore and Colin Simmons ain't coming. Those guys taking reps, man. You know, I love Baron Sorrell. I love Ethan Burke. You know, both of those guys, I know they could get better and they both had a solid 2023 season. But just like what you've seen with the interior linemen, like they're going to keep seeing rotation because Trey Moore, I'm excited to see what he's bringing to the table. Transfer from UTSA. I mean, I know obviously it's a jump going from that conference to the SEC, but yeah, man, I think all those guys have tremendous upside and Colin Simmons, yeah, just everything I've heard, the film that I've watched, Duncanville going back to back champs and he being the ringleader of those Duncanville defenses. Like you, you said it right. Like that's how, you know, those guys are being coached well because you're not just going to state championships based off talent. Yes, that helps. But when you're winning them, you're getting coached too. Like these high school coaches in Texas are very credible and they deserve a lot of love that they get. A lot of them know what they're talking about. That's why Texas has always been king to, you know, football and whatnot. But yeah, man, I I expect guys like that to come in just like Anthony Hill did last year and have an immediate impact. And hey, it's well, and that's the thing. You can have you can have Ethan Burke and Baron Sorrell on first and second down, and then an obvious passing situations, bring in Colin Simmons. And then if he just tears it up, you got to think about having him, you know, but he's light. So the thing you like about Burke and Sorrell is they hold up against the run. They can set the edge in the run game and they did a really good job. I mean, Texas was number three in the nation and run defense and it's one thing to have Sorrell. I mean, it's one thing to have Sweat and Murphy as your interior guys who are forcing running plays outside. But then you got to have the dudes who can set the edge outside and force it back inside. Yeah. And that's what you like about the size, the strength of Burke and Sorrell. I think Sorrell's going to end up being a good, uh, good NFL. Player. I too. Yeah. And I think Burke is too. I think Burke's going to take a big step because remember this guy was playing lacrosse until right. He didn't play high school football until, you know, ninth, 10th grade at Westlake. And, you know, Colton Vosick was out all last year with a back injury, but he's back. Yeah. Healthy Don't sleep now. on Justice Finkley either. He had a couple of good reps this past season. He had yeah. some good moments. You know, yeah, you've got Jermon Tap. Edge rusher, they did a good job. You know, we're not really gonna have to worry about that. At least you shouldn't. You know, it's still gonna that'll be, be that'll be an interesting there. position to watch when the portal opens in May. Yeah, good point. Because Chris Ross left like in the middle of the season, and he was getting playing time. Now it was against 
Rice and Wyoming, but still, he was getting playing time. I mean, he's got bend, and now I forget where he went, but he he's somewhere. Um, and and the fact that they were able to keep Jamon Tap and Justice Finkley, you got Deray Bledsoe who can kind of play that and inside, you know, hybrid stuff. I mean, this is this spring is going to be big because you've got Colin Simmons on campus right now. And this was the time last year in spring football where they started to kind of force feed Ethan Burke and because they loved his length. And then Burke ended up being a player. I mean, he, what, five and a half sacks? And he was hurt for, played hurt for four games. So I like Burke. I think he's got real potential. I'll tell you what, I've been listening to Max Crosby. You know, the Super Bowl obviously was in Vegas. Max Crosby was kind of everywhere. I kind of love that dude, man. Yeah. He is a badass. <laughs> Cause he's he gets it. He's not like a Neanderthal. Like he's he's polished. But on the field, oh he's like the old Oakland Raiders. He's like Ted Hendricks and Otis Sistrunk. You know, he's gonna agitate you. He's gonna do everything he can to just get you out of your game. And it you heard Pat Mahomes last week. He's like, I hate playing against that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he said that's the toughest guy that he has to face. Yeah. Like he's when every time they play the Raiders, he knows that Max Crosby better have a head on the swivel because Max Crosby can't wait to take his head off. And he, you know, he's a little bit of an asshole too on the field, which you got to oh, yeah. and respect. You know, like you said, it goes back to the old days when the Raiders were in Los Angeles. And you look at Max Crosby and you're like, dude, you look like if the Undertaker played football or something. He's just heavy with tads just all over his body there's not one part of his skin that's not covered up in tattoos and yeah he's just very relatable he's cool everybody loves him in the locker room i love that um little video you sent me when he was talking about john gruden which just makes john gruden look even more like shit (laughs) he already does i don't know how much more it could get worse for John Gruden, but yeah, Max Crosby didn't do him any favors talking yeah, about so, how he treated him. So when John Gruden was the head coach of the Raiders and Gruden called the plays on offense and Max Crosby kept batting passes down in practice and Gruden started getting mad at him, like, quit batting down the passes. And Max is like, well, we're practicing too. Defense is practicing too. And, like, that is crazy. So John Gruden is pissed at Max Crosby for batting passes in practice, which is what he's supposed to do. How about getting your quarterback prepped? Yeah, I've I've never understood that. Like, I've always heard stories like that where it's an offensive coach and they're pissed at the defense for mucking it up so much. And it's just like, how are you going to get better? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that your job as a coach to figure it out? 
you know, like iron sharpens iron. That saying's not a saying for no reason. Like, why are you getting pissed that your defense is good? Figure it out. Like, I, I've never, I've always just heard it in football. I've never heard than basketball or anything. Stop blocking the shot, Steen. You know, you never hear those things. But in football, you always hear it. It's the, it's weird. It's really weird. Yeah, Gruden, Gruden was a mess. Like, <clears throat> you talked to Chris Sims about playing for John Gruden. You know, he treated Sims like garbage and wouldn't cut him. You know, the kid had his spleen ripped open while he was with the Buccaneers, almost died. Yeah, I remember And that. he's the fourth-string quarterback in training camp behind that Toledo quarterback. Um, and Sims was like, please just cut me. Like, let me go try and make it somewhere else. And Gruden didn't. Then he finally did. But it was like, what are you doing? Like, no one keeps four quarterbacks in in training camp if they have no intention of playing that fourth quarterback. Like, just let me go. But Gruden was – he was a – man, he was tough. Yeah. Yo, like don't really sleep tough. on don't sleep on Sims stats right before that injury. Sims was low key lighting it up. Yeah. Sims was doing some things where you're like, okay, this dude might be figuring it out. Cause again, what Sims had his moments in the big games at Texas, but overall, he was solid. So you saw the upside just getting in the right system when he got to the NFL. And yeah, if he didn't have that injury, I thought, you know, 10 years plus, 10 years plus in the national football league. And yeah, he does good work with NBC and stuff. Like obviously he knows the game and his IQ is very high, but man, I'll never forget before that injury. Cause again, just being a Texas fan, I would watch Chris Sims and guys watch what Ricky did and what priest Holmes did every week and follow those guys. And Watching Chris, you're like, yo, bro, you're kind of figuring this out. Just big 6'5", seeing over the top of everybody, throws a pretty ball. He just – he couldn't take hits good. <laughs> he was not good at taking hits. Like sometimes you would have wished Chris would have thrown that thing and ducked, and it was just like he would throw it and just <laughs> laid out like a damn stunt devil. Like that's – damn, man. I wish his career was different because he was kind of figuring it out before that injury. So Chris Sims, he was in the league in 04, 05, 06. And then that was with Tampa. Then he sat out the 07 year and spent 08 and 09, 08 with the Tennessee Titans, 09 with the Denver Broncos. And yeah, he was – it was that 05 season when he started 10 games, went 6-4, and four, um, had them in the playoffs, and that was his time to shine, and then his spleen gets ripped open. That's tough, man. That's, That's tough. tough. 
That's tough. See, everybody always talk about he couldn't throw that slant. That that's just what got picked off a lot. <laughs> he he wasn't really moving folks with his eyes at times. But yeah, when when he threw that slant, we all remember those interceptions. My sure. favorite Chris Sims story was they're playing Kansas. I think this was it was either I think it was oh oh one. I'm gonna look at it real quick. But uh they're playing at Kansas and Sims throws a pick six and Kansas goes up ten nothing. And Casey Hampton goes over to Chris Sims pissed and says we're not having any more of that shit today we're not having any more of that shit today and sim said i got it i got it and and they came back and they beat kansas like 52 to 10 and sims went up to um Oh, yeah, it was 2000, and they won 51-16 to after trailing 10-zip. Sims threw a pick six with 10 minutes left in the first quarter. Oh, to go down 14-0. And then, you know, Casey Hampton gets in his face. He's like, we're not having this shit today. And... After the game, Sims goes up to Casey Hampton. He's like, we good? And Casey's like, yeah, today we're good, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Casey, Casey, he didn't play, man. Yeah, I mean, if you were on the outside looking in with Chris Sims, you could, I guess, assume a sense of entitlement. Him being New York kid, pulling up in the limo, you hear that story. And, you know, and he, his father was a pro football His mom player. ordered that limo. And yeah. Chris, because they stayed at the Four Seasons. So she's like, hey, can we get a, it's a, it was a shuttle. And, and he loads up all this. He's like, mom, no. And she's like, yeah, yeah, we can take everything at once. Oh, so they called him limo yeah they called him limo for a while that's what i'm saying like that's a bad move he had to earn a lot of guys respect you know i liked i liked sims though he had a good sense of humor i mean that year that that mac was playing both him and major and he wouldn't say who the starter was you know they'd both come to the media uh gathering on mondays and Chris Sims is like, I can't tell you who's starting this week because it's it's like G14 classified. Like he was kind of mocking the whole thing. And I, I just thought he was funny. But yeah, man, his dad, Phil, told him not to go to Texas because he said they have a guy. I mean, Major Applewhite was the co-Southwest Conference Offensive Player of the Year in 1999 and and then sims rolls in 
in 2000 and it was it was weird i mean when you with texas longhorns fans you bring up you know sims and applewhite people are either on one side or the other there's no yeah. oh they were both good right it was like you were either an applewhite guy or a sims guy and i remember mac saying Sims is what they play with in the NFL. And I'm like, hey, guess what? In college football, you don't need a guy who can make all the throws. You need a guy who can read defense. And Major could read defense. Mm -hmm. Major had a pop gun arm, but he knew, just like Josh Heupel, he knew where to put the ball, keep it out of harm's way. Yeah. Major was just toxic, though, man. You can't have your leader taking the Hosman Trophy winner's woman. I knew you were going there. (laughs) <laughs> Major you, make it sound, toxic. you make it sound like ricky wasn't oh he was toxic too he he, no. was, he was toxic too yeah ricky was doing his own thing but he was wilding he was wilding i mean but, bucky will tell you ricky uh, was getting all he wanted when he had he wanted. girlfriends or non-girlfriends yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's how it goes, man. Hey, it's Austin, Texas, man. You got to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I yeah, ain't never so left the city. Quick One year toxic. I left it. One year I left the city. Yeah, I'm kidding. Nah, he was toxic. He was that dude. Major was cool, man. Hey, I've never told you how I was at DKR 10 years old, 2001. Me and my homeboy, Trey, head coach of the Bowie Bulldogs, me and him, talk about being toxic together. Again, this is a 10-year-old Zay. This is how I knew – I was going to be in the business some way or another. I was going to be in sports some way or another. I'm out here with my guy. We're hating on Sims. This is, you're right. This was either your Mac or Sims, um, major or Sims. I'm major at this point. So Sims, he having one of them games, struggling, you know, not reading the field, overthrowing guys. Like, how you overthrowing Roy Williams with that athleticism, bro? Come on now. Let's get it together. But he was acting like the bad Sims. And I'm going off, calling him trash, saying he's sorry in front of us. And we in the hot seats of DKR. We in the upper deck. So I'm basically dapping up Jesus Christ. That's how high I'm up. So these dudes in front of us, grown-ass men, and I'm with my moms and I'm with my sister. Grown-ass men, they're in front of us. They turn around, ship and say, Leave him alone. He's trying his hardest. Leave him alone. He doesn't need that. Talking about Sims, standing up for Sims. That's how I knew it was real. Like, that's that's how I knew, oh, this major Sims thing is deep. Because I'm 10 years old. I'm bad as hell, but I'm 10 years old. Ain't no way these grown-ass men should be getting so frustrated that they're attacking us. And then my mom and sister cussed them out, and they were like, oh, leave my son alone. He, he's 10 years old. You a grown-ass man. Leave him alone. So I'm over here like, yeah, how about that? My mom's sticking up for me. Shut your ass up. And I continue to hate on Sims, but that's when I knew. I was like, yo, if sports can allow grown-ass men, had to be in their upper 20s, early 30s, if sports can allow grown-ass men to attack troubled youths, 
because they're so pissed off on their team not being where they want it to be, that's what I want to be a part of, man. I need to be a part of that. Uh, this sports thing, I need to be a part of it somehow, man. That day changed my life. I'll never forget that day. How about that? I talk about it with my mama all the time. She always says, I can't believe those men. She's like, I almost got kicked out of DKR that day for whooping a grown-ass men's ass for talking to my son, which that's what I'm talking about, mama. I need that. As I, I was loved as a child, Chip. That was, that's how I knew I was loved. Look at that. Different Look at that moments story. like that. Yeah, There's but little Zay, part of his development. Yeah. So I always wanted oh, yeah. to find out who those grown ass men were. I'll never know, but I wish they were listening to one of the few shows I've been on these last few years and were like, yo, Zay, that was me. Yeah, sorry, Rex. Uh I said Southwest Conference. It was Big 12. He was the co-Big 12 offensive player of the year and was just getting it done like here's so i'm not trying to stir it up here but now stir it up get that spoon out chip you always talk about not getting get the spoon out that's what the people 1999 1999 yeah red river shootout bob stoops first year at ou the john blake era is over and oklahoma gets up on texas 17 nothing and I'm working for the Dallas Morning News at the time. And I said to my boss, he's like, well, this one's over. I said, no. I said, hold on. I said, Major will get his bearings here. And he ends up, I think that was the game where he hit McGarity with the 97-yard touchdown pass. By halftime, Texas had evened it up. and. Let me, I'll look it up, but Major throws a touchdown pass right before halftime, and Oklahoma had this safety name, Ante Jones. He was huge. And Major ran down the field and, like, put his face mask in Ante Jones' face mask and was like, yeah, baby. And I was like, look at little Opie go. Opie. <laughs> it was an 11-yard touchdown pass from, uh, from Major to Ryan Nunez with 49 seconds left. Westlake legend. Westlake legend. And, and they went for two, and they converted it to tie the game 17-17. And I just remember Major running up and like almost headbutting Ante Jones, who I'm looking him up right now, like what his measurements were, because that dude was a bad man. And Major was like running his mouth. Okay, Ante Jones, maybe he looked bigger than he was, but he was 5'11", 190 pounds. Maybe it was just those big shoulder pads back then. But yeah, those shoulder pads were gigantic. I just remember, like, that was the epitome of Apple White in the Red River shootout to me. And then Sims starts the next four Red River shootouts and never wins. And 
not only does he never win, he never throws a touchdown pass to Roy Williams, BJ Johnson, or Sloan Thomas. Like, how does that happen? He gets blown out in some of those, too. Where, what's his name? Oh, Griffin. How many touchdowns he had one of those? Five. <laughs> yeah, five. Number 22 was going crazy. Quentin Griffin. Quentin Griffin. Oh, my gosh, man. That dude could have been molded 5-5. Five, five. He could have been molded 5-5. Five, five. Wow. Yeah, he was a problem. He was a problem. But. The frog draw. Yeah, that was 2002. Texas Texas was – they were up 14-11 at halftime and, and 17-14 um, going into the fourth quarter. And Quentin Griffin, who had – how many uh Quentin Griffin had 32 carries for 248 yards. That's fun. That's fun. Yep. He only had one rushing touchdown and he had one receiving touchdown, but it seemed like he was running all day. Yeah. See, CB's talking about the game I'm remembering where he had six, 2,000. Oh, oh, 2,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember about... that one because I was playing Pop Warner at the time, and we had a game, and it was a rainy, cold day. And I remember having a good game. And then going over to where everybody was huddled up around one of them small portable TVs, and everybody was just not giving me much love because Texas was getting that ass whooped. Yeah, yeah. That day he had twenty three carries for eighty seven yards and six touchdowns. Golly, oh, that's a yeah. joke. That's a joke. Uh, yeah. That's what, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, and then they got one this year, which they're calling that four straight goal line stops, the stop and shit. <laughs> like, they got a name for it and stuff. It's like, come on, man. Like, this year, I hope they beat the hell out of those Sooners. I really do. Like, Brent Venables. Hey, I know they're hype about this Jackson Arnold kid, but they did Dylan Gabriel wrong. Like, you do whatever you can to keep him because he was the problem this past season. Like, Dylan Gabriel put on an absolute show, and I think he's going to do that with Dan Lanning on Oregon too. But I know, CB, it does hurt, but that, that's kind of the job. We got to talk about this dark shit sometimes. And well, Jackson Arnold, good luck, bro. I don't want to. I don't want to put the absolute salt in the wound, but this this was, uh, I think, my man, Daryl. The 2001 Big 12 Championship. Yeah. That was the game where I thought Sims was literally having a nervous breakdown in the middle of the game. That's That's, I think people remember that game more than they remember 
anything else about Sims. Yep. I mean, I really do. And and that's, he was 26 and six as a starting quarterback. And he beat A&M. He beat LSU in the Cotton Bowl. But I swear, Zay, what people remember is that 2001 Big 12 championship game because Texas was, I mean, they were the better team. They'd beaten Colorado 45 to 7 earlier in the year. And Sims ends up with what three interceptions and a fumble. Um, yeah, three interceptions and a fumble. Yeah, you win that game, you go to the natty, right? Yep. You win that game, you play the Miami Hurricanes and the Rose Bowl for the national championship. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. 64 yard pick six. Yeah. Maybe he was nervous about Ed Reed and them if he had to win that game. Maybe he was looking too far ahead. Because, <laughs> yeah, those Miami teams, yikes. Well, play. so Colorado scores on that 64 yard pick six with 232 left in the first half. And then Mac, so they're down 29 to 10. Mac takes Sims out of the game, puts Applewhite in, and Applewhite hits BJ Johnson for a 79 yard touchdown pass before halftime to cut it to 29 17. And Major almost brought him all the way back. So yeah. to do that, three interceptions and the fumble, and they didn't even play the full game. Right. Good grief. Man. Yeah, Rod Babers. Rod B had a 54-yard interception return for a touchdown in the fourth quarter that helped that cut CU's lead to 36-30. That was a crazy game. That was a crazy game. That was a heartbreaker. Yeah, I'm glad I don't remember it too much. That's for sure. Yeah. 10-year-old Zay, I don't think I would have been able to handle that. That was rough. Yeah. yeah that was rough. Daryl. I don't know. That was a uh yeah, and Sims, he doesn't come back to Austin. You know. Does he is he get that hate? I saw him with a little wholesome picture with B. John Robinson, you know, Super Bowl weekend. They're both throwing up the hook him, but is he yeah. <laughs> he just can't do it? He can't. Come back to the yeah. acres. He should be able to come back. I like guess that's, that's wrong. Like if he doesn't feel welcomed, you know, and who knows all the hate mail and death threats he probably received after that. Yeah, it was a different time, but he remembers that and he probably hasn't been able to forgive. Like I'd never really hear him talking about Texas much. And I get it, you know. Again, if he doesn't feel welcome, then it's probably better for his mental health to stay out of the ATX, you know? Yeah. Peter Dinklage is taller than Quentin Griffin. Yeah, Quentin. You know who Peter Dinklage is? I don't. He's the uh, he's the uh, actor from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Stop, man. The little dude. The little dude. 
<laughs> that was Rex yeah. with that one. Yeah. Oh, Very yeah. clever, Rex. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, Rex also with some great trivia from the 99 Texas OU game. This is the game where Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator and left a fake play script on the bench in the Cotton Bowl from their like walkthrough. And Texas, Tom Herman was a GA, picked it up, and Texas thought they had something. So they were, that's part of the reason they fell behind 17 nothing, because they were like, they got set up. <laughs> Mike Leach. I mean, all right, Mike Leach. The guy's a classic. All right, let's, let's bring in our man, Hank South. Talk a little, little recruiting. And um, Hank, of course, horns 24 7. He, dropped he and jordan scruggs dropped their behind the scenes of the 2024 recruiting class um this week so if you're a member over at horns 24 7 make sure you check that out if you're not a member become a member so you can check it out but hank I always like these uh behind the scenes stories because people don't know what is going on in the recruitment of some of these guys. So maybe pick out a couple of your favorite nuggets from this year's recruiting stories. Yeah. You know, um, there, there's a handful of them. Um, you know, I, I think with the guys they got, um, you know, I, I did a lot of the offensive guys in, in the, in the feature we did. And, you know, I think Ryan Wingo is one of the most intriguing ones. You know, I, I think just from a, um, you know, there's a lot of things that like we're working, I guess, against Texas there in terms of, you know, Missouri kind of having this resurgence as a program. Um, it, you know, they obviously have, you know, some NIL resources that, that they've been uh, exercising and, you know, they, they, they're they featuring, uh, <clears throat> you know, high, high flying offense and, and, and able to, you know, spread the ball around. And I think that really caught his eye. And, you know, with Texas, um, you know, I, I think uh, the big thing with him was Chris Jackson. You know, that was. You know, someone asked on our board, you know, like, would Ryan Wingo have even come to Texas if it wasn't for Chris Jackson? And you know, that's a good question. I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I think obviously you look at Sark, you look at the offense, you look at, you know, the way he gets his receivers involved. But <clears throat> I think Ryan Wingo really did like uh, like the idea of playing for Chris Jackson, the NFL experience. He, he talked about, um, you know, uh, Chris Jackson, you know, Wingo was the first call he made, you know, when, once he got to the staff from the Jaguars um, in early 2023. So. Um, I think that connection ran really deep there. I think, you know, um, guys like Tashard Choice were, were, you know, involved there at the end, you know, making sure that they could, you know, seal the deal and and get him to come to Texas. Because I think Mizzou really was legitimately close. You know, the the whole thing was he committed, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he committed during that Wyoming game, um, silently committed. And then uh, he, uh, you know, things kind of went quiet for a while. You know, there was no decision date set. And Mizzou kind of crept back in and uh, made it kind of interesting. And, um, you know, in, in the end, they picked Texas. I think the family uh, wanted him to go to Texas. I think his brother, who was a big part of his recruitment, wanted him to go to Texas. And I think, you know, Texas did a really good job of showing that, you know, they checked all the boxes for him. And um, I, another thing interesting with Wingo is, you know, these alpha wide receivers, you know, they they kind of want to be the guy in the class. But um, I talked to him at the All-American Bowl, 
after he'd already signed and everything, and I was asking him, you know, were, are you recruiting anybody? Like, are there any guys you're talking to to try to get you to come to try to get uh, to come to Texas with you? And he mentioned Aaron Butler. He said uh, Aaron Butler actually hit him up uh, kind of later in the fall, I guess, that he saying he was having doubts about Colorado. And uh, Wingo said he started calling him two or three times a day and, and, you know, just pumping up Texas, trying to get him to come. And obviously that worked out well once he uh, officially got that offer. But, you know, I think that was one of the recruitments that was, that was really uh, kind of wild to finish. Jarrett Gibson, I think, you know, I think Florida and Miami late were, were a lot more involved than maybe we, maybe we thought. Um, I mean, I, we, we knew they were involved, but, you know, I, I think, um, I, I think, you know, quietly behind the scenes, behind the scenes, uh, you know, Florida was a school to watch. Miami made a really late press as well. Florida was not, I don't want to say begging him to, to flip, but um, they really, really wanted to keep him home. And, you know, I think he just felt really good about, you know, playing for Tashard Choice. I think he felt really good about, you know, seeing, uh, you know, CJ Baxter have success as a freshman and coming from the state of Florida. I think that played a big role. And I think Texas just stayed on him really well. So, those are some, um, there's just so many guys. I think, I think my portion was like 5,000 words. So it's like, I'm still kind of like recovering from like the writing at all, but, um, no, well, it, it was a uh, fascinating kind of to how everything unfolded. Well, Wingo, like Missouri, obviously they, they went all in this year because they had a good year. So they really wanted to, they want to capitalize on the momentum. Talk about what you were hearing from the Missouri side of it in terms of, you know, they're trying to get their NIL collective really going and yeah. try to seize on this, this uh, 2023 season they, they had. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, you gotta be really disappointed if you're Missouri that, you know, you, they, they went all in on him. Like, you know, obviously, you know, NIL, you know, it's not used as an inducement, uh, you know, that, that, that can't be, but you know, I mean, these kids have representation. They, like they're talking, yeah, they're talking, like they have people talking to people like, you know, there, there's uh, NIL is discussed, you know, it's not with the coaches always, but, you know, it's, it, the, you know, it's discussed. And, you know, I think it was very clear that, you know, he was a big uh, factor in their uh, NIL, I guess, budget for, for the 2024 class. And, you know, that, you know, to not be able to get him, you know, in a year where you have Luther Burden um, and uh, I'm saying, yeah, Luther Burden, um, you know, performed the way he is, um and, 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 you know, in the success they had, you know, beating Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, you know, that's kind of got to be a little uh, a little demoralizing. But maybe, maybe they just needed a couple more years of, you know, this trajectory before they're able to, you know, secure multiple big fish in one cycle. I guess they still got the the five-star defensive lineman from uh, over Oklahoma. But, um, yeah, you know, I, 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 they he was their guy. And, um, you know, I, I do think they they made it interesting. You know, that <clears throat> that signing day morning – Everyone, you know, his letter of intent wasn't in and everyone was, you know, of course, starting to kind of panic. Um, but uh, he told us and, you know, I kind of, be, you know, I mean, I do believe him. The way he was telling me the story is, you know, he said he was up until 3 a.m. playing Madden the night before and he just slept in until 10 and he woke up and his phone was blowing up. Um, I asked him, I was like, was, well, was, you know, was Texas nervous? And he was like, you know, he's like, I think maybe a little bit, but, you know, I hope they weren't. I wasn't trying to make them nervous. I just, you know, slept in. So. Yeah, I think um, they, they certainly were making a, a, a last ditch effort to try to flip him. But I, I think once he committed, he was he was pretty set, you know, on uh, on everything. And and he, he I, I did an interview with him um, in San Antonio, and I asked him, you know, outside of just football, you know, just coming to Texas, you know, what what attracted you to the program? And and he kind of was talking about, you know, it's a legacy opportunity. You know, Texas is 
not necessarily rebranding, but in a way they are going into the SEC. They're, you know, they're, they're starting this, taking this new step. And he said, you know, to be part of that, um, you know, people are going to remember that forever. So I thought that was kind of cool that, that, you know, that he, he, you know, thought, thought, thought kind of deeper about, you know, going to, to, to a program um, that's, you know, making that change. Well, and real quick, the, uh, you know, for a young guy like Ryan Wingo, how much does have having a guy like Arch Manning waiting to take over for Quinn Ewers yeah. matter? Yeah, I think that was a big deal. I think they spent a lot of time together um, on the official visit back in the summer. That's when Texas really kind of started to trend for him. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, again, you know, Texas hasn't had a had an issue with, um, you know, QB depth or, you know, you know, who's going to be the quarterback. That hasn't been an issue for them in the last few years. And it doesn't look like it's going to be for, for a, a little while longer if they continue to play the way they are. And, you know, with, with Sark, um, Sark there, but uh, you know, I, I think that was a big deal for him. Um, Cause yeah, you're either going to catch passes from Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning. And, you know, that's probably going to make you look pretty good. Um, and, and, you know, Missouri, obviously they have their guys too, but um, you know, I, I think Ewers is, you know, a top two returning quarterback in t- 2024 in the country. I think that's certainly a, uh, an appealing thing. And then to have, you know, Manning's probably top 10 quarterback in the country too, if, if he had to play, but uh, you know, I think that was definitely a, a factor for him too. Yeah. Yeah. Hank, talk a little bit about Colin Simmons. Chip and I discussed him and just the motor that he has coming in from Duncanville. The fact that he has championship DNA, being yeah. a two-time state champion and, you know, just him being a potential star. I've been seeing rumors on social media talking about he might have gained 20 pounds of muscle. I don't know how credible those are. <laughs> I'll let you tell us. But I feel like just with his personality, I think that's infectious and obviously yeah. talent and his upside is through the roof yeah i think you know if you look at uh in terms of offensive targets in, in 2024 i think you know out of high school i think wingo was your guy on offense and i think colin simmons was your guy on defense you can make the argument for you know kobe black or xavier phil but i think colin simmons was like the guy you had to get you know in a class that you need edge rushers you need to kind of establish yourself there you need to affect the quarterback uh when you have a guy like that two and a half hours away in duncanville you got to keep him home and, and they, they made sure of you know making making it known he was a priority. And, you know, the thing that surprised me the most about his recruitment is, you know, he committed in August and that was it. You know, he, he was part of the class, you know, a lot of these elite recruits, you know, that you, you commit and then it's like, okay, now, now it's time to, you know, keep an eye on where he visits, you know, is he still going to take an official visit to LSU? Who's going to try to flip him? You know, how solid is he all year? And I think, I think it certainly helped Texas that they played so well all year. But I, I think he was also, you know, very sad on that decision. I think he was really excited about playing in this defense and, you know, staying home. Obviously, he's got uh, – he's close to his family, which was really important to him. And, um, you know, again, you know, kind of establishing, you know, that defensive culture they want to, uh, you know, put in place there. So, um, yeah, I mean, just a freak, freak edge rusher. Uh, I think Sark said, you know – he said on a few guys, you know, put him in a lab, you know, put in a lab and like spit out an edge rusher. That's Colin Simmons. He, he said he's, he's, he's certainly an NFL guy. So, you know, I think, uh, I think he, he's a guy that's going to uh, play sooner rather than later. Once he, uh, once he, you know, the season starts and you know, maybe like kind of an Anthony Hill type trajectory, obviously different positions, but a guy that, um, you know, could maybe we see in little spurts here early and then kind of establishes himself and in, in, in playing more minutes as the season goes on. Um. Any other stories from the behind the scenes? Yeah, Even I mean, uh, it's all blurry. You know, look, uh, 
my email. So trying to remember. Ryan Williams, um, you know, guys that didn't go to Texas, I guess, um, you know, that was one that kind of stuck out to me. Obviously, you know, I don't, I don't think he was ever going to come to Texas. I think, I think, you know, maybe, maybe there was a slight chance had he stayed in the class of 2025, but I really, you know, and, and uh, you know, maybe he was always set on Alabama, you know, even, you know, decommitting and committing back two weeks later under Kalen DeBoer, you know, but you know, all, all fall, we were hearing that, like, you know, he was talking to Texas a lot. Like he, he, he was, he was legitimately interested. I just, you know, it was hard to see. I think if he had flipped, it would have been Auburn. Um, you know, he visited there more than anywhere. His dad played there. Um, so, you know, that was one that was kind of interesting to track. Um, Elijah Lofton, who's a, a tight end that signed with Miami out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. Um, that was one, um, Blair Angulo on 24 seven sports reported that, uh, he was set up. He was set to visit Texas. I think it was for the Kansas State game, and uh, that was quickly shut down. Uh, you know, we haven't gotten confirmation on the Miami end, but I think Miami made a phone call and was like, "Yeah, this isn't happening. You're not. You're not visiting Texas." So that was one. Maybe that would have been more interesting had he made that visit. But a guy Texas was uh, was recruiting pretty heavily um, that went the other way, stayed with Miami. I think the Bishop Gorman ties with Brevin Jordan. I think that helped because obviously Brevin went to Miami. Now he's obviously um, having success in the NFL. So Elijah Lofton was another one. Um, <clears throat> Jordan Ross, I think the five-star edge rusher from Alabama, um, he, you know, runner-up. Texas was his runner-up. You know, I think if it wasn't Tennessee, he was going to go to Texas. Um, he even, you know, said that. Um, and, and that was a guy Texas liked a lot. Other elite edge rusher, I mean, you know, maybe he's looking at Colin Simmons and he's thinking, yeah, I'll go to Tennessee instead, you know. But he, he liked Texas a lot. He took his official visit in the summer. Um, so he was another one. Um, Dalen Evans, that one was kind of crazy. The defensive lineman that was committed to AM um, from Longview. He told me on Friday or was it Thursday night or Friday morning of the early signing period, not to like put him on blast or anything. I think he was legitimately thinking about it, but he was like, you know, I think Texas is the pick. Um, and, and then obviously he stuck with Texas AM and signed with signed with the Aggies on on, I think it was Friday night, right before the signing period ended. So that was kind of a wild, you know, last few 48 hours with uh, covering Dalen Evans. So there's a bunch of them. Um, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, for this 2025 class, just because, you know, Jordan Scruggs and I started in June covering Texas at least. Um, and so, you know, we weren't as embedded, I guess, with these guys. You know, you get to know them, you know, over the summer and uh, as much as you can. But, you know, now that we've, you know, been around these 2025 kids, probably for about, you know, the last year, almost a year, getting to know them. And then obviously we'll have this whole year. I think we'll, we'll have some pretty good stories uh, to share next, next February when we run this again. Yeah. You horns 24 seven guys. Y'all been on y'all shit lately. Hank, Chip, Scruggs, Jeff, E. Henry, man. Y'all been on y'all's game. I've been very impressed, but Hank, let me uh, ask you this. Cause you've talked to Isaiah Bond's mom recent days um talk about just what that was like the type of family isaiah bond comes from i know longhorn fans are excited for him transferring from yeah. alabama with the speed and upside that he has talk about that discussion a little bit yeah um <clears throat> i've known the bonds since you know the, the 2021 cycle you know i got to know his mom um when i was covering alabama obviously he went to alabama so you know that was a recruit we were following closely he was actually committed to florida Early on, um, he was recruited as a cornerback by Alabama or by a lot of schools early. And then um, after that summer, everyone kind of was like, oh, I, th I think this kid's a wide receiver. Um, and, you know, now we're seeing everyone was correct in that assessment. But, uh, no, his, his mom is, is awesome. I really enjoy, um, you know, talking to her, getting to know her. Um, but, you know, you know, I asked her kind of <clears> because <throat> it all happened so quickly. You know, he entered the portal after Saban retired, 
was on campus that weekend at Texas. And, you know, I, I think they kind of just leaned on the fact that, you know, Texas did recruit him really heavily out of high school. Um, you know, they, they made a run at him um, in the class of 2022 um, for Sark's first, you know, full cycle. Um, and, and obviously, you know, they, they, they saw Texas firsthand when, when Texas played Alabama, you know, they, they, they were watching, you know, they saw what they were able to do with the receivers. I think, you know, they kind of saw the Adonai Mitchell, um, you know, tra- trajectory, you know, how, how he had so much success and moving on to, uh, uh, to Texas after playing in the SEC or playing at, playing at Georgia. Um, and so I think they really liked that, you know, they, they, they were talking about, you know, Chris Jackson, Sark sold them on uh, the vision to, to use him um, and how they wanted to use him in the offense and, you know, just get him the ball in space and, and let him do his thing. And so that, that really attracted them. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I got a kid banging on the door. I don't know if y'all can hear that. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go do my YouTube. Can, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. Two minutes in banging on the door. <laughs> Dad. Oh my gosh. Well, but, um, yeah. Anyway, he, um, let me, oh, go ahead. That? Oh yeah. No, but yeah, basically, um, you know, I, I asked, you know, did Bama make him try to, um, you know, ask you to stay, you know, like obviously like to, to, to play in uh, DeBoer's offense. And she said, um, and, and, you know, I think Isaiah said something else, but you know, uh, his mom said, you know, she never heard from, uh, Kalen DeBoer, uh, but she did hear from the new Alabama general manager. I forgot what his name is. I think it's Courtney, Courtney something, Courtney Morgan, I think. Um, so, you know, you can't really, I mean, it it happened so quick, you know, they didn't even, by the time he was in the portal, like they hadn't even brought Kalen DeBoer in yet. So it's like, he was kind of working, um, you know, with his hands tied from right his back. He was already, Isaiah Baum was already on campus in, in at Texas when they were announcing Kalen DeBoer as head coach and he was committed the next day. So, I mean, you can't really fault Alabama. You know, obviously they would have loved to keep him, but she did say, you know, it's no surprise, but, you know, had Saban stayed, you know, Isaiah Bond would have stayed at Alabama. That's not a shock. But, um, yeah, no, just a really good – she said he's really enjoying it already. He's um, he's adjusting really well to the – to uh, you know, be the Texas life. And, um, you know, I think I think he's he's going to be fun to watch this fall. And I, I, someone was asking in our um, story thread or uh, something – we were talking about wide receivers and – you know, they're talking about, you know, getting all these guys involved. You know, they have so many talented guys. And Sark even said last week at that press conference, he was like, that's kind of the fun thing now we have to figure out. Like, he's like, we got these guys. Now we got to figure out, like, how we're going to use them all. And so I think we'll certainly see, like, a lot more rotation. We'll, we'll see, you know, a lot. It's not going to be kind of the, the three-headed monster we saw this year. I think we'll see a lot of these guys, you know, get get more reps. Hank, do you have a favorite player in that? 2024 class like a guy not not necessarily like instant impact but a yeah. guy you think is going to develop into yeah. a surefire player yeah um i'm really excited the two guys i'm one on offense one on defense um jordan washington um the three-star tight end from uh from langham creek i think he's going to be legit i i think he's he's a guy that that can like awesome size can stretch the field. He can, he can block, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, he's not really an inline guy. I think he's a guy that is going to be a passing threat. And, and I think he's going to be an important piece of this offense, you know, after this year, you know, I think tight end in the class of 2025 is a really important position. You might lose three guys after this season. And then, you know, Jordan Washington's kind of your only, you know, passing tight end threat. So, um, you know, I think he's going to be a guy that develops into, to a special player. Um, on offense, then on defense, a guy that nobody really talks about, but Alex January, you know, he, uh, you know, Texas legacy, a guy that played at Duncanville, like Colin Simmons, he wasn't, you know, asked to 
you know, do a ton. You know, his role wasn't, I guess, as glamorous on the defensive line where he was playing. Um, but a guy that, and I think Sark mentioned this too, played baseball every spring until this past year. So he hasn't really been in a full offseason, um, you know, program yet focused on football outside of this past spring. And so, you know, on campus now already, um, you know, going to get, you know, in, in football shape, you know, stay in football shape, go through spring practices and, you know, develop his body. And, you know, again, football genes, his, his dad played at Texas, played linebacker. Um, so I, I think he's a guy that could, you know, in a few years, we're quietly being like, oh, man, this this kid was really good. He was he was underrated or underranked in, in high school. Have you even like in that 2025 group, is there a player that you're like, oh, man, this is a must get for Texas? Yeah, I I think it's uh you know, I, I Decorian Moore is really, really good. He's, he's kind of like, you know, you, you sign all these really talented wide receivers. It's not a huge need in uh, 2025. But, uh, you know, I think he's he's a guy, you know, you, I think you would really want to flip in this class from LSU. I think they have a good chance to flip him. Uh, so we'll see. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think uh, who else in, in 2025. I think tight end obviously is going to be a really important position. They've got some good guys. Obviously, they already have Winston committed, but you know a guy like Nick Townsend um, out of Decaney, he's he's a really talented tight end prospect that they like a lot. Um, I'm trying to think anybody else. I mean, you got to hit on these offensive linemen. I think uh, you know Michael Fasusi, the five star tackle from uh, from the DFW. You know he he's a guy that you know you have all this you know Fasusi, um, Ty Haywood, Lamont Rogers. You know they they really like the the uh, brothers at. Um, Cedar Hill, the interior guys. There's a ton, a ton of offensive line talent in the state of Texas in 2025. You know, they, they might not even have to leave the state to fill up the class. Um, you know, there's some, there's some guys they like out of state, but I think that they'll they'll get most of their guys from within within the state of Texas. Um, what's another? Uh, what's another? You know, it, it's interesting. You know, I think quarterback is it's going to be an interesting position to watch unfold in 2025. You know, you have KJ Lacey, but again, you know, assuming you know we. I think we're all pretty sure Quinn Ewers is going to go to the NFL after this next season. Um, you know, you're going to be left with Arch Manning and uh, Trey Owens. Like those are your quarterbacks. I don't think anyone's comfortable with two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster to go into a season with. So, you know, you have Lacey. Is it a two quarterback class? You know, I, I think that's a fair question and, and maybe something we see them do. And, you know, Lacey's still taking visits. So, you know, I, I think they're probably still actively – um, recruiting the the quarterback position. So, you know, we'll see. I, I think Lacey's solid, but um, again, you know, if, if you're going to still look around, you know, you can't, you can't be upset if, if the program you're committed to is still looking around too, just to, you know, keep, be safe and, you know, have those backup options. So yeah, some, some, uh, certainly some interesting storylines to track this cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Hank, I saw that Nick Cody and Trey Johnson were in for the yeah. basketball game. Talk to those two brothers. What happened there? Yeah, you know, it, um, I actually just talked to Trey Johnson's dad um, a few hours ago. I'm going to write up a story on Horns 24-7, but that was actually Trey Johnson's first time in Moody. Like, he hasn't been to a game yet, which I thought was kind of surprising. Um, but, no, they loved it. They loved the atmosphere. Um, obviously, Texas got the win. Uh, and I, you know, I was asking him, you know, every – Whenever I write about Trey Johnson, everyone's like, "Oh man, I hope he, I hope he stay, stays and does, you know doesn't go go to the G League or or go pro do that go that route." Um, but you know, he talking to his dad, they seem pretty excited. I think they're excited about you know the guys they have coming in, and I think they're excited about you know the potential guys they can go out and get in the portal um, this spring um, for the basketball team. 
Um, you know, they, they said they really like the relationship they've built with Rodney Terry that, you know, and, and his dad even said, you know, he's like, you can't really judge the loans and losses as, as, you know, you can't really scrutinize them as much with the big 12 when, you know, it's the big 12, you know, they're, they're, they've had their highs, they've had some lows, uh, but you know, they, they, they've shown they can play. Um, and, and I think, Trey Johnson's excited about that. I think he just wants to make sure that, um, you know, I don't want to say he wants to make sure, like he's sure on Texas, but I think he, he, you know, he wants to have pieces around him that, you know, help, you know, complement his game and, and help them succeed next year. But you know, I even asked, I was like, you know, is that even an option, I guess, going the pro route? And he was saying, you know, you don't see guys from like the G League or like the Australia League going top 10 as often as you do college guys going top 10. So he was saying it's never really even been much of a conversation uh, you know, he, they've talked about it, but, you know, I, th- I think he's, he's pretty set on, uh, you know, playing at the college level and, and going from there. And, and, and man, like Trey Johnson is, he's a big time player. Obviously he's ranked the number one combo guard, but um, a guy that's going to play right away in Austin. And then, you know, Nick Cody, I think he's been locked in since he, since he signed, you know, it, it's, it's funny. We talk about, you know, I think they're still locked in, like they're signed, like they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> they're set up to, to go to Texas, but you know, in this day and age, it's like, well, are they going to ask out of their letter of intent? Like, you know, uh, it just seems like things change so fast. But both those guys are excited about Texas. Um, I'll have this interview up with uh, Trey's dad here in a little bit. But, um, yeah, two uh, big-time signees for Texas. See, that's the thing, Hank. The nervous time for basketball is when the McDonald's All-American games and the Jordan All-American games come around because a lot like these senior bowls and stuff, that's where the NBA scouts get to check these guys out. So that's kind of what we saw with Ron Holland this past year. Like he went to those camps and those all-star games and he dominated the practices. So his upside went up like crazy and his draft stock went crazy. And that's why he's going to be a top 10 pick possibly. So that that's the time. If I'm a Texas fan, I'd be watching those McDonald's All-American games, all those All-American games and see how they do. You want them to do well, but you don't want them to do too well (laughs) to where the scouts are like, oh, you better go to the league, bro. You better, you know, become a pro early. So that's what I'm going to be waiting on myself. Yeah, no doubt. But yeah, from the feedback I got from his dad, you know, they're they're set on Texas. They're excited about Texas. Um, You know, they're not judging you know, some, some slip ups during the, the season. I think they're looking at the big picture and they, you know, going to Texas too. you know, having that on, on your resume. Um, he, I forgot what the quote was, but uh, he said, um, having the brand of Texas, like beyond just basketball behind you is, is a big, big deal to them too. So makes sense. So they're, they're excited about Texas. Do you think the outcome of this basketball season is going to weigh on either of these? No, you know, I don't, I didn't get that vibe. You know, I was kind of like asking, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, they've had some ups and having them downs and uh, you know, unless they just completely fall flat, you know, I mean, Texas has been competitive in most games, you know, um, you know, they took Houston to overtime, you know, they've, they've shown they can play with anybody for the most part um, when they're on. But um, you know, I, I, unless they like com- completely the bottom falls out and, you know, just worst case scenario ending of the season, I think, I think they're pretty, I think Johnson for sure. I mean, I think, I think Cody's set, you know, I think Cam Scott's set, but you know, I think Trey Johnson's the ones everyone's kind of keeping an eye on. Um, but he seems like he's happy with his decision. So I think all is good there, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. Hank, keep up the good work, my man. I always appreciate, appreciate our Tuesday conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
Thanks, right. Hank. Appreciate you, man. There he is, Hank. Southhorns247.com. All right, before we get to the commentaries, um, Apple East is going to put you in a new car. Oh, yeah. And you're going to get into a better car than you thought you could afford because you're not paying for the future trade-in value of that car, and you're picking any make or model of car. That's right, Apple East. They don't care what car you pick. They just want you to be happy. So they're not going to muscle you to, to get into any certain kind of car. They just want you to make sure that you're picking the right car for you, and then they're going to go get it for you. It's like having your own car concierge. And, you know, if you had a bad leasing experience in the past, it's probably because you leased from a dealership. And look, the dealership's going to try and keep you in their car. Apple leasing, like I said, they don't care what car you pick. So if you want to change making model of car two, three years into the lease, no problem. The easy lease, everything about Apple leasing is easy. And look, you deserve to be in a new car. You're going to be in traffic, especially here in Austin, Texas. So give Apple Leasing a call, 346-9977, or visit AppleLeasing.com. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. And Brain Vault Mouthguard. It is the mouthguard that is changing the game. Um, the Brain Vault Mouthguard was in the Super Bowl. Look, the Brain Vault Mouthguard is catching on with all of the top-end competitive athletes because it is the only mouthguard that is patented, proven to protect you your competitors from the effects of concussion. That's why it's called brain ball because it's protecting the noggin. You want your competitors to play hard, but you want them to play safe. This is not some mouth guard you boil in a pot. This is a mouth guard fitted by dentists. It was developed by Austin's dentist, Dr. Greg Eckert, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T. And look, if you can get your whole team together, they will do a group fitting. They will come to you for the group fitting. But just get your competitor protected. Go to brainvault.com to set up a fitting. And Tom McKay and Audiovisual Consultations, making sure that you are watching the big screen of your dreams, listening to the surround sound. How about some electronic shades, surveillance, new lighting? Audiovisual Consultations has got you covered. Here's the beautiful thing. All you have to do is call 255-8678. And Tom and his crew will bring everything to you. You don't need to go shopping. You don't need to do anything except make that phone call. And then watch Tom and his crew set everything up perfectly. You don't need to be trying to hang an 80-inch TV on your wall and have wires everywhere, let Tom and his crew come and do it like magic. And cover three. Hey, cover three. Go get the Sean Adams prime rib sandwich. Make some plans for brunch on the weekends with the do-it-yourself Bloody Mary bar. Cover three high-end food and the perfect place to watch your team. Um. Yeah, we gave out an Olipop earlier in the show to Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns for having 11 invitees to the NFL Combine. Um, and that's where I'm going to focus the chip shot today because 
this is the most Texas has ever, ever had invited to the combine. Um, the real quick list, the quick rundown um, for you uh, Longhorns fans. You've got uh, Jonathan Brooks. You've got Keelan Robinson, A.D. Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy, tight end Jatavian Sanders, offensive tackle Christian Jones, defensive lineman Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat, linebacker Jalen Ford, and defensive back Ryan Watts. And, you know, Steve Sarkeesian talked about this last week. He said that as the program progresses, there sh- this should become more of a regular occurrence where you're going to have double-digit players going to the NFL Combine. Last year, they had five. Um, the most since the draft cut from 12 rounds to seven rounds that Texas had was eight, and that was in 2007 when uh, you had Michael Griffin, your uh, your guy, Zay. Yep. Bowie Bulldog, Michael Griffin, <clears throat> Aaron Ross, Justin Blaylock, Tim Crowder, Brian Robinson, Terrell Brown, Casey Studdard, all those guys who were on the 2005 National Championship team. Um, and that's, you know, that's that was kind of the last, um, you know, big uh, – round of draft picks for Texas and no surprise. That was also the last time they were relevant having won the, um, you know, 05 national championship. You had some good drafts like in 2010 with Earl Thomas and that group, but nothing like this. So this is another area where Texas had been lagging, you know, they're checking boxes that matter. <clears throat> Winning a conference championship, going to the college football playoff. Now sending a nearly a dozen players um, to the NFL combine. Michigan has the most with 18. Uh, no surprise. They won the national championship. Um, I think Washington has 13. And, and then, you know, Florida State with 12. Florida State went undefeated this year. And then you have Texas and Georgia at 11. So, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, the thing that you like if you're a Longhorn fan is that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is doing the things that are elevating the program. From a recruiting standpoint, high school players like Calvin Banks, transfers. We just got done talking about Isaiah Bond. Um, you know, they also have Andrew Makuba coming in. And big-time players from big-time programs now want to come to Texas on the offensive side because Steve Sarkeesian's calling the plays and he's got a loaded quarterback room. They've seen the results. They saw... Xavier Worthy become a freshman All-American. So that attracts A.D. Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell comes in, catches 55 balls for 845 yards and 11 touchdowns. He moves on to the NFL. And, 
And now Matthew Golden's coming in from Houston with the same intentions. And, you know, the key, and I will continue to harp on this, is the defensive line recruiting. They took a little bit of a hiccup when Bo Davis went to LSU. But let's see how Kenny Baker, the new defensive line coach from the Miami Dolphins, how he settles in. Um, his hire was done with intent and purpose. He's from the Georgia area. He's recruited Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama when he was at Western Kentucky. Those are areas that you need to find those difference-making defensive tackles. You got Terry Joseph still recruiting Louisiana, uh, who does a good job. And look, this is you look at this staff, you look at the way they've recruited offensive linemen, running backs with Deshard Choice. Good heavens. I mean, that's another position, Zay. You watch for the portal in May. Like, can they really hang on to all these guys? You got, you know, Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter and Savion Red and and Trey Wisner and now Jarek Gibson and Christian Clark. I mean, it's amazing that running back room. So that's what you want. Yep. You want them all in there fighting it out. And the coaches will determine who's got the the wherewithal, the talent, the mental makeup to help Texas maintain this level of play and and continue to you know stack up double digit win seasons. That's another thing. It happened in 2018 when Texas went to the to the Sugar Bowl, but it wasn't happening on a regular basis like it was in the early 2000s under Mac. Now, landscapes totally changed going into the SEC, where Ole Miss looks like they're ready to to pounce. Missouri, Georgia, and Alabama are always going to be there. LSU, I mean. A&M just hired a new coach. What's he got? I mean, this is this is going to be fun. But I think you have to take days like this, uh, only talking about it because the NFL combine list came out today, and Texas has 11 players who've been invited, and that's a step in the right direction. Now, let's see how many get drafted because Sark said we could have – double-digit draft picks, and he said, you know, they're looking at our program. They saw us in year one, go five and seven. We didn't have any players, he said, drafted after that season. 2022, we go eight and five. We got five players drafted. Now we go 12 and two. We got 11 players going to the to the combine. So uh, definitely, I've said this a lot, and I, I'm not really um, – but I, I mean, I mean it. Sark has not made many sideways steps in the off seasons. And I think he's done a really good job of evaluating players, developing players. And and so this is what the big boy football programs do. And today, another step, another box checked of Texas doing things that other schools used to hold against texas in recruiting so um significant day good luck to those players who are headed to the combine uh, it's a great opportunity 
and let's let's see how uh see how they perform and it only takes one team to fall in love zay yeah that's all it takes i'll never forget when garrett wilson was going on his recruiting tour and he elijah higgins who went to Bowie, ended up going to stanford and now i think he's dabbling in the, in the nfl uh, i think he was on the dolphins roster a little bit but yeah he's a solid player but both those guys they were at texas and they were putting on the uniforms and stuff to take those pictures to see if you feel anything when you put that uniform on can you envision yourself playing with that same uniform on that's why they do it for these kids and i'll never forget elijah had his instagram going and you could hear garrett wilson in the back saying man i don't even want to be here really you know texas don't put any nfl guys in and it's like, dude, when arguably the best player to come out of this area in the last decade says something like that, like, that's your backyard. I know Garrett Wilson came from Ohio and stuff, so he was always, you know, destined to be a Buckeye. I get that. But still, for him not to even think about Texas, like, yeah, you said it best. That shows where they have came from to where they are now. And when you hear Hank South talking about how Ryan Wingo he probably wouldn't have came if it wasn't for Chris Jackson, like you just got Chris Jackson this past year. Like Chris Jackson has barely been in the ATX, but that shows Sark is bringing in high quality guys when other coaches go off and, you know, have different careers somewhere else. I don't know, but you need that. You need guys like Kenny Baker with his background and all the great things that you hear about him. You need those guys to be brought in because you know, as a student athlete, you want to be developed. You know, all the resources and stuff that can only take you so far. But if I'm not being developed, it don't mean nothing. You know, I'm trying to get to the next level. NIL is cool now, but I want to be making money for the next 10 years or so in the National Football League. And I think Sark having 11 guys going to the combine, getting to the CFP, playing in the Final Four, winning the Big 12 before you go to the SEC. We're seeing everything going the right way. So I'm with it. All right, right let's get the right call. Get to the right call. Before that, though, shout out to Cover BK. Been doing it for over a hundred years. Y'all get out of those hoopties, man. Get out of those just beat up pentos, them ugly buggies. Get out of that. Get you a Covert BK vehicle. Seven terrific brands to choose from. Dodge, Chrysler, Cadillac, GMC, Buick, Ram, and Jeep. You're going to find what you want at Covert BK because they are committed to providing customers with a high-quality selection of new and pre-owned vehicles. So you're going to get hooked up. And when you go to CovertBK.com, you're going to see all the latest specials and inventory. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now. Not ever. All right, Chip, so a little bit of some messiness going on in the NBA uh, that had a little bit to do with the trade deadline. I mentioned last week how the Dallas Mavericks got better by sending off Seth Curry and sending off Grant Williams and bringing back guys like Daniel Gafford from the Wizards and bringing in guys like P.J. Washington. The Mavs are on a five-game winning streak. So they made some good moves, but there's always something going on. You know what I'm saying? Grant Williams, who got shipped off to Charlotte, which that's his hometown, so he should be happy to be home. He said some very interesting things these last few days when they asked him about 
you know, how he feels about being in Charlotte. He said this, everyone touched the ball. We trusted one another, a team that never played practice together. Every single person seemed like they had each other's back. <laughs> and then like he goes off to say, it's great to win for the city and play for the jersey that's across your chest, not on your back. Everyone touched the ball. Everyone trusted one another. So that makes you think about what's going on in Dallas, where he came from, which that was their big move in the offseason. They went and they got Grant Williams from Boston. He Grant Williams is a big reason why Boston had a lot of success with his 3 and D mentality. And I was very confused on why it hasn't worked yet. I just thought it was because he's getting used to playing with a guy like Luca, you know, playing with a guy like Kyrie Irving. And I guess it just went south. You know, there was another rumor, Grant Williams, he's a Jordan guy, so he wears none but Jordan. So is Luca. Luca has his own shoe of Jordan. They said that Grant Williams stopped wearing Luca's shoes and started wearing Jason Tatum's shoes. And that just his whole vibe in Dallas just rubbed people the wrong way. And I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, Luca, he seems like he could be difficult at times with the way that he talks to the refs and, you know, kind of how he carries himself. He seems like he could be an asshole at times, but a lot of the greatest were assholes. Kobe was an asshole. Michael Jordan was an asshole. Like you, you make do with greatness. You adjust to the greatness. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're Grant Williams and you don't like how it's going here, and again, to Grant's credit, he came from a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals. He came from a team that was in the Finals a few years ago against the Golden State Warriors. So Grant's probably looking at these guys in Dallas like, yo, I've been there. I've been close. I don't got a ring, but I've been closer than you guys have. So what I saw up in Boston ain't what y'all doing down here in D-Town. And I don't know, he, again, Grant didn't say any names, but his statements were very, very questionable. And look, I thought the Mavericks got better by getting Gafford and bringing in Washington. I take Washington over Grant Williams for what Dallas needs. I take that. But yeah, man, it just, you know, Kyrie, he's had a past of not being the best teammate. And, you know, this is the same organization that shipped off Jalen Brunson. Well, they didn't ship him off, but they weren't willing to pay Jalen Brunson. New York was. So I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I want to think Luca is a guy that's easy to play with, but, hey, we'll see what happens with this new team. Again, I thought Dallas got a lot better, and they've made the right moves to put them in position for the playoffs. But let's just keep our eye out on – how things are operating for Mark Cuban's team and, you know, Jason Kidd, who's also had some questions about his coaching style being at two different stops before Dallas with Brooklyn and Milwaukee and both getting canned at those places. Let, let's just keep an eye out on the Mavs and how they do, especially when March and April come around. Well, when you first heard they traded for PJ Washington, were you like, what was your initial reaction? Good move. Great move. Yeah. Yeah. They gave up a first round pick. Uh-huh. Yeah. And again, Grant Williams is salty because he knows it didn't work with him. And he's probably thinking, 
damn, can I at least get a full season? Maybe I'm a better playoff player than I am regular season player. Some guys are like that, you know? But there's obviously something going on in the locker room to where him and Luca must have butted heads about something because Luca, he won't back down. Luca will let you know, hey, you screwed up. You're, I'm the one that everybody looks at after the game on why we didn't win or not. You messed up. Even though Luca's out here dropping 70 and dropping 50 in multiple games and stuff, Grant Williams is out here talking about how there's guys with the freaking Hornets that don't have no egos that want to play for the team across the chest instead of the team or uh, instead of the name behind. Like that's that's pretty petty. Like this is the Hornets. The Hornets are super toxic. LaMelo Ball's their franchise player. That dude is an absolute head case. So for Grant Williams to say that, that's very petty to say. And yeah, it just makes you think, okay, maybe everything in Dallas ain't what it seemed, you know, which we bring on Trey Allen, who I'll be rocking with until Kevin Dunn comes along. Trey, you're a Mavericks fan. I know you don't watch the NBA much, but will you be surprised if you heard Luka Doncic was a little difficult to deal with as a teammate? He's a whiny little European bitch, of course. I mean, when they put Kyrie Irving and Luka together, I was like, what on earth are you hoping to achieve here? So, like, do you think the Mavs are where they should be as the eighth Uh, best team in the West? No. No. They should always be a top five team. When you have a top five player in the league, you should always be a top five team. Exactly. That's in that's- in hindsight, was the Kyrie Irving trade move a bad one? Um, I wouldn't say it's bad. Like when Kyrie's on the court, Kyrie performs. And Kyrie's been good. He hasn't been a head case. The only problem that he's had is injuries. You know, and you kind of knew that going in. If you're Mark Cuban and the rest of that front office, you knew that Kyrie being in his early 30s with all the injury problems that he's had throughout his career, that's that would, you know, probably come up. But everybody's so worried about Kyrie and what he might say when he gets interviewed, you know, that just kind of looks past the injuries at times. But they're always going to try to look for a Jalen Brunson type. And that, that's what hurts them the most. I think not keeping Jalen Brunson, they should have yeah. given him the money. That's, that dude. That's a, like if you'd have hung on to Brunson and just been patient. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think he, I think they could have paid him enough. He wanted to be his own man. Like, it's not like they just ran them out and they weren't willing to pay him. Jalen Brunson, he wanted to be the top dog and his own man and run a team, and he would always be Robin to Luca's Batman. So that that was always going to be an issue there. But I think if you would have paid them enough, if you would have paid them superstar max contract money, I know that's a lot, but Brunson and Luca, it worked. Like, they got to the Western Conference Finals, and if it wasn't for Luka being hurt slash out of shape going up against, at that time, the most in-shape team in the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry running around all day, then who knows? You know, that was a bad matchup. 
but I would have stuck with that team because, hey, we're in the Western Conference Finals. We're only going to get better. Luka and Jalen Brunson are both under 30. They're only going to get better. They're just now entering their prime. Yeah, be patient with that, Cuban. But, nah, Kyrie, as good as Kyrie is, Brunson's on another level right now. All right. I agree. I will let you fellas have some fun. Say hi to KD for me. Appreciate you, Chip. Good show today, man. Cheers. Let's do it again tomorrow. Later, Chip.